Okie dokie, we are back and better than ever, everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight, and welcome back to the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. I have greatly appreciated all the support and followership over the last few months. We haven't had as many guests as we did earlier this year. This is due to illness, scheduling difficulties, and simply life just getting in the way. Uh, For many of you, this will be a welcome sign as we are returning to that function tonight with a special podcast. And I guess even better news for a lot of you, I won't be doing much of the talking tonight, uh, so that might be uh, a positive thing. But I think you'll enjoy tonight's topics. But before we get there, I just want to give a shout out to all the platforms. Give you guys the credit you deserve. Our hosting site, SoundCloud, our YouTube channel, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so very grateful for those apps and those websites being able to continue to support us. Uh, Please check out our news updates on Facebook and follow along wherever you like to listen to your podcast. All right, so tonight's episode is rather special. I had the privilege of sitting down with both Annette Ridenauer from That's What I Thought podcast and Pastor Adam Deckard. Both of them are making a return appearance for this show. Annette, along with her husband Micah, if you remember, hosts conversations about relationships, culture, and communication that focused on Christ and the church. So please go check out their podcast, That's What I Thought. Pastor Adam Deckard, my good friend, he's a part of my D group, if you remember. He is a youth ministry director at Sterling Nazarene Church in Sterling, Colorado. He's a 2016 graduate of Olivet Nazarene University, along with Annette, and he is a member of my D group. He was one of the founding members, uh, which if you want to know more about him, I'd encourage you to go check out interviews 14 and 15 to get to know him a little bit better. So without further ado, please welcome Pastor Adam Deckard and Annette Ridenauer. Excellent. Hey guys, welcome to uh, We Shall Not Sleep podcast again. Guests Annette and Adam, thank you so much for, for coming back. How are you guys doing this evening? I'm great. Doing pretty good. Uh, both both great. At the, the same time as in unison, it's exactly like we practiced. It, this is not edited. This is just rehearsed. That's all. Uh, <laughs> no, I, um, I'm so grateful for your time tonight. I, I hope that this can be an edifying conversation for many Christians, especially for us millennials. I know that a lot of the topics that we'll discuss tonight pretty much, I would say, affect maybe the younger Gen Xers, but pretty much millennials. And I mean, God forbid what the problems that are facing uh, the, the Gen Z um, generation of, of people. But one of the things that I, I really wanted to get your insight uh, tonight um, is about how how we define like relationships in this uh, in this country and our culture that we've grown up in. All, all three of us went to Olivet. We were there at the same time. So we kind of have an understanding of this, you know, young Christian culture and how we have grown up in it and then being given expectations you know, we have to meet certain expectations. And if we don't, there's like this hourglass out in the ether somewhere that's ticking down. And if you don't meet these things, then you're somehow, you know, doing it wrong. And one of those happens to be like relationships, whether you're in one or, or not in one, it seemed like you always had to have an answer. And I, I'm just wondering in, in this particular culture, I believe we have an addiction to them, whether uh, it's, it's pressuring people to be in them or pressuring people 
um, while they're in relationships to have to do certain things. I'm just wondering, is there really an unhealthy addiction? I don't, I don't even know if there's a healthy addiction, but if we just say relationships and I guess as we apply it to the church, do you think that, think that is something that's, that's creeped into our Christian culture as well, that we have this obsession with relationships? I'll start with you in that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great conversation piece and I would probably err on the side of also being obsessed with relationships because I love love. I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's important to, to define exactly what we're talking about. Cause like, obviously we're speaking to a very niche group here. I mean, even in the introduction you're talking about, we're talking about, you know, 21st century, specifically probably millennials, um, who, grew up in the church, went through purity culture, the back end, um, had kind of this marriage expectation, I think we're talking about, like, whereas, you know, for most of the world, that's not their situation. I mean, even in the rest of America, culturally, they are more on the end of, you know, sexual revolution, which is what that purity culture was like, you know, let's swing the pendulum. So you have those butting up against each other. So I think on the other hand, you have like a group of people who are very much opposed to marriage relationships, which I think specifically we're talking here about like marriage, erotic, sexual relationships. Like that's, that's yeah. what we're talking about. Um, so I think it's interesting even in that backing up and getting some perspective on this conversation to say, you know, we are talking about specifically something a very small group of people has experienced and especially like in the very broad sense of even what's happening around the world today but also all throughout history i mean we're in a very unique situation where we get to choose the people that we're with like we're not doing arranged marriages we're not you know enforceable marriages hopefully <laughs> so i mean we're in a very uh, very unique space and i think with that, that's where a lot of these challenging questions come from. And I think probably what some of that fixation comes from is there's a lot of pressure on you to make a decision to navigate waters that most of the culture has not, and most of history has not, and to do it in a way that is bringing glory to God. Not that I think, you know, we should all have arranged marriages or whatever, but I think it's important to recognize like, yeah, you are in a unique situation. So being frustrated with this is understandable. And at the same time, there's like a lot of blessings with that. Cause obviously, you know, you get to choose, you get to find the people you like, you get to chase them down in your own unique way, do it in your own timing to an extent. Like obviously, ultimately you're not gonna make a decision for another person, but <laughs> to an extent, you know, a lot of this is in your hands. So I think even, I think it's important to set the tone of this conversation and recognizing like, yeah, we're in a really weird time in space, in history, internationally, even in Christian culture with how we think about marriage and sexually intimate relationships, that's so different. So I think of course, naturally there's fixed fixation in the same way, like we have a fixation on technology, on social media, on internet, because we live in a post uh, technological revolution age, you know, post-internet invention. And so things grow at this rapid pace. So I think there's a lot of things we are seeing there building up to this conversation. 
and a lot of that includes, you know, we are, we are post, I would say, um, post-Christian culture and post-monogamous marriage culture, you know, post-sexual yeah. culture. So like, you know, 1950s church, 1950s nuclear family, I think that's typically the expectation maybe we felt like we had to do because that was a path laid out for our parents. And so we perceive that as, you know, like you had said, to make mom and dad happy. I mean, I think all of us here are overachieving good Christian kids to make mom and dad happy. This is the path I should follow. And, you know, part of that is you meet a nice Christian guy, you get married at a nice young age and you start having babies. Like that was kind of sold to us as the ideal and in a really negative sense in the purity culture in a way of saying like, if I act this way, if I do these things, if I don't sin, if I follow these rules um, that God slash my parents <laughs> laid out for me in my mind, then, you know, God owes me this perfect relationship on my timeline and we'll have the best sex ever and we'll have the best relationship ever. Wolf. And so that's not, <laughs> that's not to blame the people who were doing purity culture things. I mean, clearly that was not their heart's intention to have that be a side effect. And I don't blame them for that at all. But I think it's recognizing in us, like, you know, our, our sexual purity isn't a bargaining chip for us to get a relationship. Um, and I think some of the fixation in relationships is us trying to navigate all of that. So I wouldn't see a fixation on the relationship to come back to your original question as a negative thing in a sense. I think there's naturally a fixation on relationships in young adults in our psychology, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. There's naturally a fixation on relationships in the way that God has created us. Um, whether, you know, even in your lifetime, if you're single your whole lifetime, you are still created as a sexual being. Like you still have the parts, you still have the ability, you still have the desire. And I, there's a navigation of like, what do I do with that then? And then God questions come up with that. And like, you know, if I have these feelings, if I have these desires and they're not going away and I'm praying about it and God's not giving me a wife, um, like, what am I doing wrong? Did I do something wrong? Am I being punished? Um, and so <laughs> all this to say, I think a fixation is normal. And I think a fixation is, is not bad. And I just, I, that's how I would want to start this conversation. Cause I think in the overachieving evangelical millennial mindset, we just want to carry a lot of shame for that. But I don't think there's any shame for that. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's God's heart for us is to shame us for thinking we want to be in relationships and we're not. <laughs> well said, I don't think we need to, I'll ask any more questions uh, for the evening. No, I, I think what, what you're picking up on in that is fantastic. I have a tendency to make broad statements, but in a way, in a, in a leading question, it's nice to start out by defining, I would say defining the relationship, relationship talk. Uh, no, uh, but what, what you're getting at is like, is leaning into the natural things, but also competing with the expectations that our parents and the church as a whole places upon us and then reconciling that with, what God wants of us. And I think that's probably the most difficult angle is that at the end of the day, when we have those urges, we have those desires. And when it's not being met, when your expectations are not being met by other people, your peer group in particular, when you want to please your parents, when you're younger, then you leave a college, you want to please your peers and you don't have an answer. You can feel as if you're doing something wrong, which can lead to a, a lot of pathways 
one of which can be an obsession, unhealthy, and, and trying to fulfill other people's expectations. And another one could say, well, obviously that's not the plan for me right now. However, I'm going to continue to live my life for God, allow him to guide my path. But that's the thing is that that ends up turning into a cliche, which can be a whole other uh, form of temptation is, oh, God just hasn't brought you the right person yet. Yeah, well, no kidding. I'm I, like, I don't know that already. <laughs> so, um, and so Adam, with what is, Annette is saying, she is putting things in, in context here. She's she's putting it, uh, the question in our our terms, what we, uh, us three have grown up in. You we, you and I have talked a lot about purity culture and, it, and it's, you know, it's somewhat benefits of like the virtues of wanting to, to teach of certain values and still within them. Maybe it wasn't done in the right way. I, I fortunately was part of uh, a church that did it, I think in a very good way, but I also had Teresa Garner as my youth pastor where, you know, there was a lot of great things from a very young age being instilled and it was consistent, but you've shared with me the stories of where that's obviously not the case. But what, what, what do you think though, given what we've, we've started out with, that do we do we as as millennials and as Christians do we have an unhealthy addiction or obsession with relationships or are we just venting our frustration on something that as Annette was saying is completely natural we're just burdened with different social issues because of technology and social media hmm no I think this is this is definitely a I don't want to call it a coping uh, conversation but I, I do think it is a maybe more, more of a processing conversation, just kind of processing the um, processing what we grew up in. It's funny. Um, Michael gave us a, you know, just a, a just a general outline of, of kind of what we were going to try and hit and, you know, maybe four or five, four or five things. And I had, I had taken a little bit to, not a, not a lot. I didn't write out a lot, but I wrote, I wrote down some thoughts to keep me focused. <laughs> and uh, Annette, I, I have to say that you, you touched on probably a good portion of things for at least all four or five of those questions, which I think is, is good because it's affirmation in my head of like, okay, that's, that's a good talking point. That's a good, that's a good thing to touch on. So Thank the you. Is that Adam was a good boy and prepared ahead of time. And I was like, these are just my feelings. I'm going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> just because I just don't, you know, me, me processing in real time makes for very bad uh, radio. Because, uh, you know, Michael can attest there's a lot of, there's a lot of back and forth when I'm trying to figure out what I'm thinking because I have to say something in order to figure out, no, that's not what I think. And then I backtrack and then it's like, where did he go anyway? Well, well the, the so, beauty of it is I can edit all that in post to make you sound amazing. Like how did I mean, you come up with that in like 30 seconds? That's fair. Seconds? That's fair. Maybe, maybe I should you know, be in radio more often. But well, the great part of that is that there's just a microcosm of this conversation is that all relationships are extremely nuanced based on who you are, the individual. So. Amen, amen. Yeah. So the only thing that I will add to the, the initial broadening of this conversation, if we're kind of taking a step back, we're taking a look at kind of our, our um, we're, we're, we're trying to, to, we're trying to figure out a good place to start, right? And the only other place that, the only other thing that I would add to that, that you, that you briefly touched on, Annette, was like, we, we are made, everyone, everyone is made in God's image, 
everyone's made in God's image and communion and community is at the heart of God's identity because of his triune nature. Um, and because we were made in God's image, you know, we obviously we, we desire community. We were made to be in community and you know, we not only long internally for a relationship with him, but with other people. Right. So, um, um, I think that, um, and we're, we're kind of narrowing our conversation to, to, to conversations within the church. So I won't get into, you know, like how people, I don't know if I want to get into, you know, it was like, how do people outside of the church deal with that versus people inside? Like, because there are different coping mechanisms. Like we all desire community and we all want that. We all, we all desire that that's a desire that we all all have. So people, you know, they, they try and fill that, they try and fill that hole in different ways, I, th I think. Um, but I think for, um, uh, for those who are in Christ, I think that is, you know, it is still easy to make an idol out of relationships or, or the idealized relationship, what it means to be in a relationship. Um, you know, if, if, being in a relationship, specifically a marriage, is this this uh, the epitome of intimacy, or is the the highest tier that you can reach? Um, you know that can be that can be idolized, and you know yeah. almost as a almost as a a cookie cutter to to press on the community. And if you don't fit that cookie cutter, you know, kind of like what Annette was saying, like you you you're somehow on the outside and one thing i might be i might be jumping ahead of my own notes a little bit but um there was this we, we kind of talked about you know the the you know the cultural context and you know the um you know the 50s into the sexual revolution into purity culture and all this different stuff um i think that a huge part of this conversation on because Michael, you said a lot of this boils down to expectations, like what, yeah. what expectations are placed on us by the faith community. But I think that the expectations are a, are a, um, a lack of adaptation due to the cultural changes that have happened around us, partially because of social media, but in large part because of um, the extension of adolescence. And I can't remember if I talked about this when, when we were briefly talking about youth ministry that one time that I was on, but the extension of adolescence, I think has, has huge ramifications for this conversation because people aren't getting married at 18 anymore. They're not having kids at 20, you know, they're, they're, you know, because of, you know, going to college and then it takes longer to settle into a job, which takes longer to, um, you know, become more financially stable. People are more comfortable setting, settling down when they're financially stable. So then they get married when they're, you know, late twenties, early thirties, maybe they don't start having kids till their mid thirties. Right. Because, you know, some people just, you know, have kids right out the gate and some people wait a while. Some people don't have kids at all, which is another conversation of like, you know, the ideal picture, the, 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 the picture perfect family, and kind of the, you know, in our Western evangelical community is, you know, the mom, dad, two kids, right? So if you, if you 
if you're not having kids, then what are you doing? Um, but I feel like there are just so many more elements that have been added on in the, in the, in the recent, in recent years. And I think that we're slowly becoming more aware of people or, or the, the conversation has shifted a little bit, I think, and, and people are more aware of just different preferences. Like I feel like awareness of difficulties in getting pregnant and having kids, um, are, are becoming more normalized. Like, um, I, I have several friends who, who either, you know, either they can't have kids or it's taken them a very, very long time to have kids, or they've really, really struggled with, with physical ailments through pregnancy or all these different things. Like we're just becoming more aware of these things. So the conversation is shifting less from, at least I think is shifting less from like, Hey, when are you going to have kids? And more like, like, do you feel like that's something that you want? Like, are you able to have kids? Like, is that, you know, on the table kind of thing? You know, it's a little more, uh, I, I hope that's a, it's a bit more sensitive to, to, um, to that. I don't know. Um, it, it's a, it's a conversation that, I mean, it, it, we wouldn't be able to solve all of it in one night and I dare say no. solve anything, but I, what we're the themes that we're talking about and we're touching upon it's not just expectations, but it's it's things that uh, we are what, what Net was saying, you know, meant meant to do. I guess as as creatures, we're we're here uh, to well procreate. I mean, if we want to boil down the purpose of our life here on Earth. We're here to serve God, and we can serve God. Well, and Jesus is you know very clear. You know, if you love me, obey my commandments. Okay, well, we know what his commandments are. You just got to read the gospel, and then if you are seeking after him, you're in a relationship, you're in a marriage relationship, you're there, you have kids, you raise them, train them up to be, uh, be uh, Christians. And then there you go. There's purpose on, on the planet to save others and dedicate your life to Jesus in now in the interim where your life begins or where your life ends. Uh, and that you, you said it uh, like relationships. Well, of course, like relationships, that's, that's what we're about. That's because we're relational people. And I love that passion. Um, one of the things that I see as a, as a direct result of this, of the, the expectation game is the comparison game, which social media just exacerbates. Uh, and not that social media is bad. It's any, like any tool, it can be used in horrible ways. I mean, sometimes it's great when a, when a hammer hits a nail, but it's really bad sometimes when a hammer hits a baby. Uh, and that's sometimes that's the misuse of the actual tool. And We've uh, we've talked about this definitely in D group about the things that we see on social media, the things that we post, the things that we share with one another, even as Christians, can be very harmful, and we or sometimes we're naive of that fact. Annette, let me let me go back to you for for a second, just just as a a general question: How do you think social media has impacted the way we view relationships in this Christian subculture that we're in? I think it's probably just a, it's a magnifying glass. And um, I mean, like you said, it's a comparison to where I need to be. And, but again, it's not necessarily the tool's fault, right? I mean, these are all human user error things. And these things, I mean, they exist whether you're online or not. Like I, if I was living in 1800, walking around my town and Jenny's married and I'm not, I'm still going to be mad about it. So right. Like, Exactly. The tool, I mean, the platform is just part of that. Um, but I think 
I mean, it's interesting because even in this conversation, we have very different stories when it comes to relationships. Like Adam got married right out of college. I got married several years after college. Like, uh, what I was, see, I wanted to get married by the time I was 24 and I got married when I was 26. So, you know, there's, there's your expectation. Um, and then, and Michael is living the single life. So like, even all of these things, you have very different experiences. So I mean, social media can be an avenue of that, but I mean, I, when I was single and lonely and really looking for somebody like church was just as difficult, you know, especially if you've seen the memes where like, you know, the last available guy at church shows up with a girl and you're like, no, oh, my last hope is gone. And this can leave you in, you know, it leaves you in a desperate place. And so, all of these things are conversations with you and God. I mean, he has, he has a unique story for you. That's not going to look like anybody else's period. I mean, whether that's you're feeling frustrated in your job, whether you feel frustrated in friendships, your relationships, whatever it is. I mean, there's things that are going to bother you because you see that someone else has them and you don't like, I mean, I think that's part of being human and relationships are just another avenue of that. I think there's a couple of different directions you can go with that. And I think probably multiple that you need to take. And I think one of them is to grieve. I think it's okay to be sad that you're not in a relationship in the timeline you thought you'd be. And I think God is, is happy to sit with you there and say, you know, like clearly God knows the plan for your life and he's got good things, but he's able to, to resonate with what you're feeling and say like, I'm so sorry, your heart is breaking. Like, I'm so sorry, like that you can't see what I see that you don't see you the way that I see you, but like, I'm still gonna sit with you and be where you're at. And then, I mean, the second thing is, you know, to take it a self inventory. Sometimes I think it, it's frustrating and I'm not like saying this is everybody's case, but sometimes people aren't in relationships because we hold ourselves back because we've been taught some of this theology too, especially as a female, that, you know, the guy should come to you, he should ask you out, um, he should um, be pursuing you, you don't have to put yourself out there, like all of these kind of things. And so I think part of it too is evaluating, like, why am I responding the way that I'm responding? If I wanna be in a relationship, like you're probably gonna have to go on dates, like you're probably gonna have to put yourself out there. I think that that analogy where the guy's sitting on his roof in the flood and the boat comes by and he says, you know, that's okay. Keep going. I, God's going to send me someone. And then the helicopter comes by again and he says, that's all right. God's going to save me and sends a helicopter away. And then the guy's going to drown. And, and God's like, the guy's like, what God, why didn't you send me anyone? And God's like, I sent you so many people. Like you didn't do anything with what I sent you. And so I think part of it is like, in our grief and our frustration with our relationships that is it can blind us to the opportunities that God is giving you. So I think, I mean, the same way you daily have to pick up your cross, you daily have to grieve and lay down the things that you thought you were gonna have right now. And at the same time, pick up the things he has for you today. And maybe that's putting yourself out there when it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's, hey, there are some things that I need to work on in my personal life. And like, I need to see a counselor and work some things out because there's these patterns in my relationships that are holding me back from good relationships. Or I need to deal with this past hurt or 
I need to um, deal with this expectation I have of the future. I mean, sometimes it's just idolatry of what we expect. And then you bring up your spouse into that and suddenly they're supposed to fill this great gap and need in your life. And they're like, I'm only a person. <laughs> like they're yeah. going to continually disappoint you then. Yes. Because you've said, you know, all this time I've been waiting for you and you should be this great, awesome thing. And they're like, well, I'm doing my best, but I'm still human. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, that, this is, this is great. And I really appreciate that insight because that you, you're talking about social media as a magnifying glass. Um, you know, Adam, I, I wonder if you'll, you'll agree with, with her take because um, it's very easy to take social media and use it as a scapegoat. But the, the themes that Annette is talking about and the struggles um, talk about like 19th century or whatever. Yeah. The, the feelings of anger, um, sorrow, um, you know, jealousy, and misplaced expectations and thinking that I don't know God should have me in a different place uh, because if I was God I certainly wouldn't want me here. Uh, those things have always existed, but yeah, social media has has made it more ubiquitous in that comparison. I mean, you can see everyone's success, so yeah, it does amplify the feelings. So I, I would say it certainly plays a role because I don't think we use it well. I don't think a lot of people use social media responsibly. That's just my personal belief. Um, but what do you, what say you about social media? Are you, are you with this understanding that it, that it has worsened thing, but it's not the true root cause of this relationship angst that we have? Hmm. Can you clarify for me what, hmm. can you clarify for me like what, to what arena are we speaking? And just guess. again, just the, just the church. Like, how how is social media in exacerbated or may or not played a role maybe in this this search for relationships and this comparison game that we play with ourselves? I I mean I think of we we did the eye test at Olivet because we were there we were present, but since leaving. Uh, college and not being around a lot of our friends, we still stay up with a lot of our friends through social media and through all of the social media apps that we use, whether that's dating apps too, we can still keep up with people. We can still see their failures and their successes to the degree that they want us to, because I think the the part that social media where it is a little bit new is the, is the editing tool that social media provides is you're only getting the image of what people want you to see. Whereas it's a lot more difficult to hide that in person. Um, you can't hide. I mean, I would say in most social circles with, without technology, it's really hard to hide the grief or hide um, the, your singleness or your displeasantries. Maybe you could do it for a little bit, but you, you'll find inconsistencies where social media, it's like, my life's great, even though I'm miserable on the inside. Right. Right. Man. I don't know. I, I have so much to say on social media, but I just don't want to go off on the wrong trail and talk about something completely different. But well, you're here to, to we're here to record and talk. So I would not dissuade you from talking about it. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it, social media in and of itself could be its own podcast that all three of us could talk into on a, on a separate uh, separate episode. For sure. But I guess for, for this conversation, though, like as far as how it affects our relationship thinking is really yeah. what I'm after. Yeah. Honestly, I think that. I think that social media has really played a role in how we think relationships develop in the first place. Ah, 
Okay. Like, because I mean, I think we, and again, this boils down to expectation. Like it, it shapes our expectations of what relationships are going to be, what they're going to look like. You know, we have, and we have our quote unquote, like religious faith-based expectations of what a relationship will be and what a spouse will be, which is what Annette was talking about. And like your, your, your husband or wife is only a person like they can't meet those expectations. But I think it also plays into, again, like how, how the relationship forms in the first place. And I think we'll start to, we'll really, really start to see this more with younger generations. I know we're speaking more specifically about our generation, but like, I think that like, I think social media and our interaction with it and our dependency on it has for some eliminated certain or seriously deteriorated certain skills needed in order to build relationships. For instance, I have many friends who rely heavily on dating websites um, which is not a bad thing. I have several friends and family members, other, you know, family members who have met their significant others via, you know, a dating app or website. It's a viable option in today's world, especially for bigger cities, you know, or different places where it's just, I mean, again, like maybe you don't, maybe that one single guy in your church is taken, right? What are you going to do? You know, it's, it's a good option. Social media is, you know, this thing that I keep going back to and just in my discussions about social media is that it's utopia and dystopia at the same time. It's so cool that you can find someone on an app and you, you share mutual interests. You already have kind of a lot of this like basic information out of the way. Like I know this, 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 and this about a person and I can take a step toward that person, you know, knowing that we already share some of these same values and, and, and all these different things. Um, I think that's great. But I think it also can be a crutch in, in just like, it's a huge handicap for just learning how to take those baby steps with a person like small talk, for instance, or, um, uh, or, you know, I was thinking about this the other day too, like even just like memorizing information, I can count on one hand how many of my friends I actually know their birthday and the rest of them, Facebook just tells me, why is that important? I think that, you know, between like phone numbers and birthdays and favorite foods and these little things that like, as you get to know a person, you commit these things to memory because they're important, right? Like, and you committing that to memory shows that, that like you care about that person. Like, Emily would probably be upset if I didn't know her birthday or our anniversary or like what some of her favorite snacks were just like those little things that like show that yes, like I've been listening. I've, we, we are living this life together. Like I care, you know? And so tying that back to social media, I think that man, I don't know. I think we've just like, how do you how do you be curious about a person if all those little things are taken care of on the front end? I guess like I, I think that sometimes it handicaps our ability to be curious about a person. Like if you're not curious about your spouse, like continually curious, 
like that's a problem. Like a, a, a relationship stagnates or dies the minute that you stop being curious about another person. And I genuinely believe that we've lost part of our ability to like just take interest in another person. And like I, I, I am constantly, when I'm with my students, when I'm with people at church, I'm constantly going through my head and it's like, okay, what question do I ask them next? What, what did they tell me last week that they were doing? And you know, what, like, how could I ask them a question that would, you know, whatever, 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 like, I have a student who loves racing. What can I ask him about racing? Or like, I know nothing about racing. You know, what do I ask him? You know, so it's like, like when, when we're talking about the development of relationships, be they romantic or non, but I feel like specifically it helps in, you know, it can help in romantic relationships. Like it, it skews our ability. It skews our ability, excuse our ability to connect and what we think is connection is, is this, um, it's not, it's not a false connection, but it's, it's somehow seems diminished. Yeah. Does any of that make sense? No, I know it does because that, that leads into like, if that's true and I don't know, and that if you want to respond uh, to what he's saying here, I I think uh, for what, what Adam has just said that, that starts this, this inner longing that even though we want, uh, even though we got what we wanted, it's still not fulfilling this inner desire in our soul, which is what you were saying in a way is like, why is it this person fulfilling this need? But I, cause I, I was told this entire time that that's what the answer was. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know about you uh, in particular and that, but that's something when, when you said that, I'm like, well, yeah, it's, I think that's probably the issue is that when we look for, you know, the, whole Jerry Maguire, the you complete me type of uh, mentality. Like, I don't think that's not, that wasn't the point. I think complimentary, but like, we're not supposed to complete one another. If we complete one another. And from my understanding, of course, this is, this is very naive because I don't, I haven't had the experiences you two have had that, that we're supposed to be completed in our fullness, you know, with God first, because when we look at the way Jesus, for example, I don't think anyone would look at him and say his life was unfulfilled or any of the disciples who were not married, like, oh, you know, they, if only they had a good woman in their lives. Uh, you know, I think we could say that about a lot of you know, guys who are single lack a lot of self-awareness, but I don't think we're going to say that about, about Christ. So, and that, what do you, what do you think about that? Is, is that, um, where, where's that mentality of, and maybe this lie saying the other person is supposed to complete me. Where's that coming from? I have so many thoughts on all of these things. Um, <laughs> I, first of all, I want to build off of what Adam said, because I think that I definitely agree with the issue that he's seen. I wouldn't necessarily point the finger entirely at social media as much as I would the family. Um, And I will come back to that. But I think, so after college, like, I was like, sad for a while. And then I moved on from being sad to being like, I would like to be in a relationship. So then I changed my philosophy to, I'm going to go on as many dates as possible. Cause what am I good at? I'm good at meeting people and talking to strangers. So I think, I mean, that's what Adam is seeing is a generation of kids who aren't super good at meeting people or talking to strangers in person. They're really great at like talking to friends online and like playing games with people they don't know. 
but when it comes to relationships where there are risks, it's really difficult for them to walk into that space. Um, so I think pro-social media, one of the great things I thought is like after college, like there were so many people I got to keep up with. And like, hey, when you're, I wasn't on any dating sites specifically, but I had all my social media to be like, these are people I already have relationships with. And maybe I never thought as a viable option before. Cause I think, you know, you gotta have the right place, the right time and the right person. And that means like you and that person are at the same place being equally yoked, meeting at that same route. So there's like yeah. there's a lot of things that have to happen for this to work, which is a miraculous thing. So like, I don't really know how people do it without God, I guess, you know, that's why so many relationships don't work. But there I think one of the things is like, <laughs> being able to have your your code your expectations your forethought as you go into those relationships because I think one of the things that I see especially with students that I work with is that when I ask them about um you know sexuality and if that's like something that's weird and confusing to them so much different than when I was in high school they're like they're like, oh yeah, like it's fine. I'm not worried about it. Like they have like so much less shame, I would say, in like talking about it and being around it. And I think that's probably because this sexual conversation is at the front of their school conversations in like a different way because of the culture and in a way that's talking about like gender identity, um, which is a different conversation. But like they're so much more comfortable talking about relationships and the idea of these things. I think one of the things that we still believe is that is that consumerism narrative which we see in everything I mean we see it in church we see it in these relationships so when I'm online looking for someone when I'm sliding into their dms it's still not about you know me loving this person serving this person it's about what is this person going to give to me and what that technology is you know whether it's there or not I think this is a pre-existing issue yeah. but the fact that we are accustomed to everything serving us, to everything being personalized to us and everything meeting what we want, then the person on the other end of that conversation is disposable, period. Like, And the fact that the risk level goes way down when I'm using social media, like I don't have to, I don't have to break up with them. I just have to ghost them yeah. and I can block them and not tell them why. And you know, it's done. No, no risk necessary. And I think like that's, that's the approach that is is deteriorating those relationships like that's the approach that's unhealthy if you go into the mindset of you know i'm going to use my social media to build these relationships to build these connections to get to know people and the way adam said like i'm scrolling through their feed oh they like skiing like i'm gonna ask them out on a date in person we're gonna have coffee and be chill like i'm not gonna have this expectation that you know we're gonna get married but you know, I'm going to ask them, you know, I saw you like skiing. What's that like? <laughs> like, I don't know how to ski. Why do you like it? You know, I think it's being able to use social media as what it is, which is a superficial layer and say, I know this is a superficial layer. Like, I know this person isn't like presenting every deep, dark secret on social media. And I hope that they're not like, that would be a red flag to me. Be like, yeah. Like this yeah. person is sharing way too much with strangers. Like they're clearly looking for validation. But like to take that superficial level and almost, I mean, use it as your small talk propeller and be like, 
you know, hey, I know based on this person's profile, we probably do have some things in common or we definitely don't. So either I'm going to ask this person out or I'm going to not. And then in that conversation, like, hey, at least, you know, I have some conversation starters, some things they might actually like. But when you go into it with, you know, you've already stalked them on social media and now you're sliding to the DMs, but you're not going to take any risks in that relationship by asking them out. You're just going to talk to them until you get bored or they don't meet your expectation or they're not serving you in the way they want. You know, even if that's, you know, they're not sending you any crazy pics. Like, I feel like that's a lot of the stereotypical high school boy narrative. Like, you know, when they're not sending me pics and I'm done with them, like I'll just ghost them. Like, that's the issue. I think it's not, it's not the technology, it's that we're not prepared to be vulnerable in our relationships. And I think that comes from, um, <laughs> I, I think it comes from the lack of character development, the lack of discipleship in your life. Yeah. And so, you know, you see people who aren't in the church doing that. I mean, it's the same way of like, you know, of course I don't expect that from them. Like they don't have the fruit of the spirit in their life. They're not like trying to be made holy. But like, if you see someone online who's following Jesus, like, I feel like that is a great place to confront them and being like, you can't just slide into someone's DMs and then ghost them. Like you are a new creation in Christ. Like you have to be vulnerable. You have to take risks. You have to be honest and have those real conversations. You can't just like be like, sorry, I'm out. Like that's, that doesn't work. You have to have more boldness and bravery in that. Yeah, you you bring up, oh my gosh, you bring up such good points. Uh, yeah, relationships involve risk. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was talking, or when Adam was talking, is that yeah, it, it's we're not willing to take that next step, and it, it's very it's very narcissistic. It's a very consumer culture. It's like, what can you do for me? And when you can't do anything for me, then 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 you're done. What do you do with a product that you're done with? You throw it away or you sell it, and that that's something that you know that i have fallen prey to unfortunately um adam i saw you shaking your head a little bit during what and that is saying can you is this something i'm curious because of your connection with the youth as well like are you seeing a more comfortable nature with younger people in regards to sexuality and are you also seeing this consumerism really really plague relationships for our generation It's funny, I hadn't, I don't think I'd really thought about until she said it that much. I, I admit that I struggle to have as, as much as I feel like it's a, it's a necessity and it's important. I've, I've, in the short time that I've been doing youth ministry, I struggle greatly with how to address sex and sexuality, partially because of, um, partially because of the maybe the puritanical nature in which I was brought up, but also the, um, I don't know, like they, they are so much open. They are so much more open to it. And like, you know, because that is the forefront of our conversation and we need to be speaking into that conversation. Um, I, I honestly haven't had many of those conversations with um, any of my kids. So I can't really speak to that as much. Um, but I, you know, I, I do see the conversations happening or I do see, you know, obviously the cultural conversation happening and I can see why that would be a thing, but, um, with the, um, um, consumerism. consumerism. Yes. Thank you. With the consumerism, I think that, 
Oh, what was it with the consumerism? There was um but the social uh, what was media it that she said. You know, I think so. Well, I'll let you say it in that. What you is saying... consumerism? The airline food. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was trying to think there was a there was an avenue of of oh oh wait i think i remember i remember yeah the i i feel like the the consumerism in relationships is is and the word that i kept thinking of was just objectifying it, it's just it's yeah. it's it's incredibly objectifying to the person you know when you if you're if you're using this as a potential to you know like just kind of scope out like is this someone is this something that i want is this something like using people as a disposable resource as you as you were referring to um, um, oh, I lost it again. Hold on. Sidebar, is there also maybe some correlation, but not necessarily causation, causation connected there with why sexuality is such an easier conversation for them, but pornography continues to rise. Yeah. Right. You mean the gender of people, but continuing to exploit people. I don't know. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I always think, and for, for anyone that might be from the older generations listening to this too, um, the this is not. I mean, you, you mentioned Anna, like the puritanical culture and the and the approach to um, to sex. Like, I don't disagree with anything that I was taught about sex. In fact, there, a lot of the stuff was factual about like what is expectations as far as what Scripture teaches, and then what decisions lead to healthier relationships. I think a lot of the facts, like here are the, and here is what is good. Here's what leads to healthiness. I think all those, at least for me, were, were great things that I agree with. However, how they were reinforced is I think where we could see a lot of areas for improvement. Um, and then the application of those things, which I know something, Adam, in particular, you've shared, I just for the older people. Yeah, it's, it wasn't always applied in the best way. Uh, public declarations to a lot of people about your your chase for purity, I don't think are the best things because I think that can shame a lot of people and peer pressure and in, in people into it. And I don't like the word pure anyway, because I think what that implies is that anyone who is like, for example, not a virgin before they get married, that they're somehow impure. And I'm like, okay, if we're going to discuss purity when it comes to sex, like, well, none of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us are pure. I, so I don't even like that word. I, I would like to apply that to Christ's blood. That's the only thing pure that has been in this world is the thing that can deliver us from all sin. So I don't even like using that word pure um, because every time I look in the mirror, it's like, oh yeah, look at, I'm going to die someday. Why? Because I'm, it's a product of sin, but God's redeemed it, but I'm still going to die because there's sin in the world. And it's like this never ending avalanche of, like, that I, that I see. Um, right. But Adam, you, <laughs> you maybe mentioned this. We mentioned this last week, a D group that uh, we talk about social media and consumerism that sometimes, unfortunately, like Christians can feed into that by what we post. And, and that's, and this, that's a whole other conversation, but like, are we, are we using this tool with discernment and wisdom? And that brings up a great point just about what social media can do for relationships. Are we building it as the foundation where it is going to be more objectifying in my opinion? And I think all of our opinions or can it add into a foundation like, hey, I'm going to go on a date with a girl, like you said, Annette, and I find out, you know, she likes skiing. Well, I, well, I could see based on her social media presence by, for example, the pictures that she posts of herself on, on her profile. Um, like, oh, modest, 
okay, it's not pornographic. Well, that's good news. You know, like, hey, she shared this. Or like, hey, you can tell by the language that she does or doesn't use it. Now, hey, look at she surfs or skis. Those are things you can take and put in the back of your head saying, remember that, remember that. But like, if I'm going to try to build a relationship all on the stuff that she wants me to see, not that stuff that's not that he's even fake. It can be true. It can be, a, but it's a sliver. It's a sliver of, of what the life is. But when we are limited on Twitter or we are just posting one, maybe a couple times a week, again, that's stuff that we want people to see. So how do you, how do you, I don't know how you do. No wonder it doesn't work out. <laughs> people build a foundation on social media. Mm. Ponder that listeners. <laughs> yeah. Man. I mean, like I, again, it's, you know, the social media being the utopia and dystopia at the same time. I like in that, that like it that. can be, it can be such and is such a useful tool. Um, I think I have a tendency to go to the negatives um, partially because of social media's influence in my own life. So I, I have my own experience there. That's, that's kind of, I don't want to call it jaded, but it's, I mean, it's, it's just, I'm, I'm in a season right now where I'm trying to back away from it. So I'm because I've recognized the the drawbacks in my life and I I'm kind of in a position where I'm trying to help um, not only students, but older adults as well. Um, and, and like try and navigate it because no one teaches us how to navigate social media, which is in part why we're having this discussion. Um, but like, and again, like that could be its own podcast and that could be, you know, a million podcasts or whatever. But yeah, um, I just think that um, I have seen social media turn into a coping mechanism that like, it's a coping mechanism that like, you know, we, we end up turning to, we end up feeling more comfortable with a machine than we do with a person. Yeah. And if that, if that is the narrative in your marriage, if that's the narrative in your relationship, if, if all of your in-between moments um, are, are, are devoured by social media use, and instead of spending time with your significant other or, or what have you, you know, and it's not all, it's not all dire warnings or anything, but it's just, it's, it's a, it's, it's, I personally am trying to bring awareness to the imbalance because I had an imbalance in my own life. So I see couples who are out to dinner and they're both on their cell phones, not even talking to each other. It's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you here? Like put the phone down and actually connect with the person that you're trying to connect with. Like, I don't know. And, and there's definitely an element of, you know, I know a, a popular thing to do, you know, because of, all the media we consume, we, we like to share media. We like to, we like to share media with one another. Um, um, but there's a difference between sharing media that makes us laugh and sharing what, what makes us tick if for, for lack of a better term. I mean, not to say that you can't learn from, you know, like, you know, you get to learn about people's sense of humor or these different things, but like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting for sure. Um, I have seen social media used very well and I've also seen it used very poorly. So yeah. yeah. It, 
ultimately this what we're talking about here which is kind of the heart of what i wanted to talk about tonight um because i think um your perspectives will will help at least one person i know out there um, is this ever increasing um you know feeling of loneliness maybe of dread uh, because if you're even not a Christian, if, I mean, I don't know what people who aren't Christians live for anymore. Uh, I think you're seeing in this country, the widespread and disparate views on politics and, and uh, social stances and the uh, increased um, polarization of what people do with their own bodies, whether it's uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, medical decisions or, um, you know, we talked, you, you mentioned it earlier in that gender identity that uh, the increased polarization is, is getting farther and farther apart. So it's, it's finding, finding like the little social circles, like, do I have to change my friend group every time that, you know, we have another thing that we have to like draw a line in the sand on. And when you come to relationships, somebody you're trying desperately to you know, connect with and maybe you know, get married to, or maybe not. Um, it's something that I've, for the first time in my life, I've had to just admit here in the last couple of weeks that I am really like struggling with loneliness. I'm not the only one this desire for companionship is not, it's not like non-biblical. It's, it's something we talked about. It's built in. And what I struggle with truly is like, as a pastor, like I want to be fully devoted to my church and my flock and I want to shepherd them. Well, I, and I say, I don't want to be burdened by a relationship, not because it's a burden because people say like, Oh, well, you'll find the right woman. They'll, they'll encourage you and be able to add to the, add to it, not take it away. Like all oh, that might be well and good. But I really struggle with Paul's words in First Corinthians. I really struggle with that. I look at Jesus and the life he led. And it's like, no, again, no one's going to say that they lived unfulfilled lives because they didn't have sex. Uh, like, and it, which is the thing if I may be an expectation in marriage that, okay, now that I have this thing, now that I can have sex in a healthy way, now my life is somehow complete. It's fuller than it was before. And if it doesn't meet that expectation, I can't imagine the, um, depression that or just the sorrow that one might experience when they've been told this is what you have to do if you're a christian and once you get it that's the pinnacle of life and you know maybe they don't come out and say that but you know that's what my grandparents did that's what my parents did and then when you get it you're like that's it <laughs> like, like is that this is the this is what i'm meant to do now i'm supposed to become a mother or a father for 40 years that i die and then i'm like what that's it um so like I'm struggling with that dichotomy. Like, what am I supposed to do? And in this, the, the, I guess the, the part where I am privileged is I have, and I have, by the way, I have this person's permission to share this briefly, is I have been in love. I, I have known uh, what it's like to have been loved by somebody that did not put any expectations on the relationship uh, that I felt completely safe and secure with. And I could be myself. And I have, I felt that and that I wouldn't say I'm not going to be like Romeo and Juliet. And it was ripped away from me and it was never meant to be. No, that's, that's, the, that's not the point is I, I felt that. And I long for that again. I do. Um, that's just not, you know, obviously not what has been meant to be at the moment. I there's I'm supposed to be over here in another lane, which I hate, but I'm grateful for at the same time. It's, it's unfortunate. I guess what I'm, what I'm sharing from my heart for those people who are out there is that listen to Annette. I, don't, I think she should just take over hosting this podcast is that it's okay to grieve. 
I've had to grieve that loss. In fact, I've dated other, other women only to realize what I had been chasing is how I felt a couple relationships back because I was, I was either in it for the consumeristic nature or I was, I was in it just to have, to have it so I could have something, someone to hold or someone to hold me because I was feeling lonely, which imagine that those relationships didn't work out. I mean, I, who would have thought? And all the while I'm thinking, oh, I actually have the foundation here. I, I know what it actually feels like. So I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm one of the blessed ones to have had that. And if I'm never out more in a, if I'm never in a relationship like that ever again, at least I had it and I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm no longer angry, but it took a while. But here's the thing, that loneliness that I feel, that angst, that dread, I understand that that's not just people who are single. I, I know I've talked to people and there's been testimony from others who they've been in relationships, but they've never felt more alone. They, they never, I mean, talk about neglect. I mean, it's one to feel lonely when you're by yourself, but when you feel that loneliness and neglect when another person, you know, like Adam, what you're saying, no longer is curious about you. Oh my gosh, what a prison that must be. So I, I have to ask you two, now that I've shared just my, my brief, my brief thing, how, how do you combat that loneliness? How do you, and this is not an indictment on your spouses, by the way. No, I don't, by no means. Um, it's just, you know, I mean, I know Emily uh, Deckard, uh, for, for example, really well. I know that Adam is not struggling uh, with uh, relationships and loneliness. And I, I don't know Micah there, Annette, but I, I trust and I can see the fruit in your marriages. But how, but those, but those times, I know that those times exist, talking to my parents, talking to my grandparents, that there are those moments where, whether it's due to not getting your own way, or maybe you felt you were hurt. Um, the other person, you know, accidentally hurt you, or they forgot something at the store. And it's like, oh, why didn't you just listen? Why couldn't you just listen to me? You know, this, those things that couples go through, how do you struggle um, to, or I don't say, how do you struggle, but do you, uh, maybe you do struggle with any sort of loneliness or your advice, I guess, to people, if you can't relate directly to fight against loneliness, even while they're in relationships. Annette, I'll throw it to you first. Somebody feels, I'm going to pull up my glasses so you can see my eyes so that you know that I see you. Yeah. I, I just, I am so sad. I could, like, I'm not a crier, but I could cry for you right now. Cause I just, I feel that. And I know that pain and obviously I don't know your situation, but I, I know that that pain, cause I, I'm someone who really, I mean, I, I crave attention. I love to be the center of attention. I love affection. Like physical touch is my love language. Number one, like no, <laughs> no competition. I mean, words of affirmation is pretty high up there too, but you know, both of those can make you really, you know, desperate for relationship and when somebody fills that gap and then they're no longer there there's a I mean it's a massive loss and it and it doesn't matter the situation it's just it's crippling um and yeah I mean I guess the best I can do is just share a little bit of my experience and to speak to that loneliness because it is so real I mean and I think there was a lot of difficulties for me not feeling like I really connected socially in college. And I think, and I would love to share some of this too. When I, when I graduated, I started listening to Julie Slattery who um, talks about God's design for sexuality. And I love her. She has been just a great 
online mentor for me, like single to married, whatever. She's been awesome because she just very openly will talk about sexuality um, and God's design for it in a way that's so freeing and honest and raw. And I feel like, especially when I've been in that situation, like one of the things I'm just like so thirsty for information, for knowledge, for like understanding of what that is. And like part of the frustration I feel like is like that the church doesn't always know how to give that in a way that's helpful. Um, and mentors and spiritual mothers and fathers seem to be so rare that it's like, I'm just I'm craving that, that information. I don't know where to get it. So like, I definitely feel for that too. But I mean, one of the, there's a sex therapist, his name is Doug Rosenthal, and I can send you his name later, but he, I mean, he dives into this so well. I mean, he just wrote a book about, um, singleness and sexuality. I think he, I think it's called like single and sexually whole and just this whole, I, this whole conversation that we are designed by his definition to be socially sexual as well as erotically sexual. And kind of like how in English, we only really have one word for love. We don't really understand the complexities of our sexuality within relationships. So like we've been taught that, you know, like sex is just intercourse, you know, just like genitals rubbing together and that's sexuality. When like your sexuality is so much more than that. And, you know, to be erotically sexually intimate is, is an amazing metaphor and an amazing part of relationship and amazing, illustration of God's design for like being known entirely and thoroughly and not being rejected. Like, I think that is something that he, he illustrates through marriage. And at the same time, like, like I've had sex. It's great. I love it. It's important, but I, I mean, it's not the most, like it didn't, it's not the most amazing thing. Like it's not the end all be all. Like it's amazing and so important, but I mean, there's couples who, you know, for whatever reason, can't have sex anymore and still have an amazingly sexually intimate relationship. And sex is so much more than just the act of intercourse. Um, and I think that's important in the conversation too, but also like as someone who has gone from an environment that, you know, is all your peers and the dating pool is everyone. And then you move on from there and you're like, where is the dating pool? They are all gone. <laughs> like, it can be so frustrating, which is why I'm, yeah. I celebrate social media in that way because like, in a sense, like it does keep that dating pool open. And then the other hand, I think Adam is right, asking the right question. And then it's a question we should ask all the time. Like, why am I here? And that should be your question when you're scrolling on social media, like if you're, if you're lonely and you're curious about your sexuality, like probably scrolling through your ex-girlfriend's feed is not the place to be. Like yeah. you were just gonna find yourself more lonely and depressed than you were before. Because, you know, why are you there? Well, you're there to try to get something that is not gonna be given to you there. Um, and so that's, it's, it's growing that awareness and understanding of yourself to know when you are going off the rails a little bit. And then, I mean, it's the same way, you know, when you're on a date with your spouse, if you are on your phone the whole time and then you forget why you're there, which is to connect with your spouse, then, you know, you missed it. I mean, that can be anything. You go to your job during the day and you're spaced out doing who's no, who knows what, like you're still not experiencing what you should be experiencing in that moment. So, I mean, I have, I have been there. I have been in the laws where I've just literally, 
bawled my eyes out in in a fetal position in a field just cried myself to sleep just lonely and sad um but god is with you in those moments and i think that is a uncomfortable thing to hear and i want to say that with the modifier of like i have been in that situation and it's been it took like a year and a half plus to even like start thinking about like oh like this doesn't always have to be the way it is like god does have people for me like he does have relationship for me it just takes so long and i i mean i say the same thing in conversations i have about suicide and depression like when you are feeling smothered by something that you can't control and something that is just breaking your heart just the blinders go completely up and you can't you can't see you can't feel you can't think straight and i mean that can lead you to panic attacks it can suicidal thoughts you know it's just so hard in those moments to step outside yourself to see what's true like when i get in those moments like all rationality is gone and i like you have to have to have to have people like you can talk to and verbalize those things and like you're probably going to end up with the same frustrations and questions but like the more that stuff comes to the light the more those frustrations come to the light the more healing that you find and that was kind of my philosophy moving on from there is like you know i'm done with like trying to figure this out myself and being frustrated with it i'm just going to continue to basically just vomit it out like and it it's more painful that way at the beginning but it goes away i mean like who wants to vomit it's very uncomfortable but after you vomit it a couple times you start to feel better and like it's that continual just purging of those things so you can find healing and i think that 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 loneliness is the same thing i mean the devil wants to send you to isolation he wants to isolate you and separate you his plan is to attack you he wants to get you away from the flock away from the other sheep where you're vulnerable and it's easy to destroy you so like as as difficult as it is to like connect and trust people when you feel lonely it becomes all the more important because you will become lost in yourself and i think that's where like if you have a great family that that comes in if you have a great church or that comes in but the frustrating part is like you know what's the study that's like I don't know how many people they ask but like most people can't even think of like two trusted friends they would tell everything to like if they were in trouble they don't even know who they would call Mm. so like in that same way as you as you are searching for someone to spend your life with it, which I, again, I don't think is a shameful mission. I don't think it's a shameful plan, but as you're doing that, like you have to, you have to count up the cost. Like there is an attack going on around you. If you put your blinders just on this thing, like you are going to get like sideswiped by this loneliness and you have to continue to have, you know, these people you're talking to that you're praying with that are coming alongside you to strengthen you. And this is why I think there's such a a frustration and loneliness in young adults in this extended adolescence that Adam was talking about, because, you know, there's marriage conference after marriage conference. And then we have young adults in this longer and longer period of singleness. And it, it looks different in every season. I mean, being single when you're 21, looks very different from being single when you're 26, looks very different 
from your 30s, from your 40s. And like, you can still have that desire, those frustrations, but it's going to, it's going to look really different. And I think something that was really helpful to me in that time was like, having a multifaceted approach, you know, like still pursuing those relationships, but also like pouring out to God what I was feeling in as an embarrassingly, like as embarrassingly and awkwardly as possible, like in my journals and like, I would like do painting and things. And, you know, these are things that I would be so embarrassed to like say out loud or tell someone and like, I can read them back now and be like, oh my gosh, that was so stupid. Like, why did I feel that way? Like, that's so not reality. But I mean, God wants to meet you in that honesty. And the more that, like, for me, it's always shame. So like, the more you're ashamed of it and more you hide it, the less you're going to find healing from those things. And then you need to find people, mentors who are in the same space as you or speaking to where you're at. Like, and maybe it's not people in your direct circle. Maybe it is like, you know, Julie Sattery for me, it was just a great person. I needed to hear what she had to say. And I needed to, you know, find people who were married that would let me ask questions about sex, would let me think about it. Because I think Matt Chandler said this, like the devil's scheme for your sexuality is to like push as hard as possible for you to have sex before you're married and then after you're married to get you to not have sex at all because like that's where the the intimacy is torn apart like God's design is for you to be sexually intimate with your spouse and before uh oh well I'm sure what uh, Annette was going to say was going to be really you know really good I, we lost you there for a second and actually we're to still losing. in that spot especially oh, oh am i dying well we're dying for a little bit that's all right sorry that's, a, that's all right connection on, with anyway i was just i i got on my my pulpit but <laughs> yeah all that to say like if you if you're single and you want to be married and you are not there and it's exhausting and frustrating to you you're not alone you're very heard like god gets that and that's more and more people's experience so you like definitely have people to rally around you and you can it's important to grieve that and also like you also don't have to stay there i mean the thing about grief is it fluctuates like you can be super sad one minute and perfectly happy and hanging out with your friends the next and like that's okay god that that scatterbrainedness, like God welcomes it. Just mm-hmm. pray all the crazy prayers that you have. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I am of the philosophy that you lean into it. If, if something hurts, you just lean into it as hard as yeah. possible and say, you know, God, where are you going to meet me here? Like, I know that you're going to meet me, that you are near to the broken heart because that's what you promised. Like, I know that you have designed me this way and I know it's not a lie. So like something is here that I'm missing and how can I, <laughs> I, I always push it. That's just, I'm the fight, not the flight. I push in as hard as I can and say, God, what is this? Like wrestle with him. Like he wants to fight with you about it because he's like, no, I get it. Let's talk about it. Let's fight about it. Like there is, there is goodness for you even in this, like, even so there's still goodness for you in that. So Well, what you're talking about, I mean, yeah. Um, healing. And deliverance comes through honesty. It does not come through deception or, or lying to oneself. It can't. Um, 
Adam makes fun of himself that he takes some time to process some things. Well, yeah, that's great, Adam. Well, it took me five years to really understand what had happened uh, back when I was in college. And <laughs> so I, that makes me angry. Like, wait a minute, shouldn't I have just like uh, pieced that together over five years? But what happens to Annette's point is if you run from those feelings, you deny it, and then you bury it. As soon as you're in another relationship, you don't deal with it. And then you're like, well, what, well, well, why didn't that work out? I thought, I thought that's what love was. Uh, no, it wasn't. Well, why not? Oh, because I, I've had a taste of what that unconditional love is. So, oh, I need to, I need to deal with that. So like that, that was a, uh, that was a big thing for me. And that was, I went from anger and, and confusion because I never felt that way before. And then it was, oh, well, okay, well, I'll just go look for it. And so I couldn't find it. And then it was, that was a realization of a why, because it was very special. Um, Adam, would, how do you, how do you see loneliness? Um, and not just for the single people in your life and not just like my, I'm not asking you to, re, to respond necessarily to me, but how, how do you, how do you fight loneliness in, while being married? And what is your advice to people who are in relationships who are struggling with loneliness? That's a great question. Um, for me, um, I think honestly to avoid loneliness, um, and again, I can only speak to my own experience and kind of how I process, but I think honesty is, is huge, Specific, specifically in a marriage. I mean, obviously, you know, people always talk about communication and different things like that, but it's really it's really true. Like I feel most alone. I feel like I've throughout my life, looking back, I've felt most alone when I feel like I can't be honest um, about whatever it is I'm experiencing or whatever it is that I'm feeling. Um, so, you know, when, when I feel like I can't be honest with my wife, like, like I, I feel alone in that. And like, I, I avoid conflict like the plague any Enneagram nines out there, they know. Um, and that's husband is an Enneagram nine, shout out to the nines. But um, I, I avoid conflict like the plague. That's not my only trait, but it is one of them. And so there are many, many moments where I, because I fear the conflict, I um, disproportionately minimize my own feelings or my own experience as being an unimportant or even my own opinion as being unimportant. So um, maybe in a moment, you know, Emily says something that that hurts my feelings. Um, and, you know, in that moment, I know my feelings are hurt, but it's not, it's just not worth bringing up. Like it's not worth bringing up like another thing in that moment because I want the moment to be over I guess I just want to move past it I want to forget about it and in the moment it's like I'll just numb this I'll just bottle this because it's not it's not important but then like in that moment like I don't because I'm minimizing my own feelings like I don't I don't feel like I can be honest with Emily about how I heard what she said Maybe she didn't mean to hurt my feelings, but it did for some reason. Um, and, you know, yeah. So in, in that instance, like, um, so recognizing, recognizing that 
but and like and i've i've had many moments where i just need to get over like it's like i need to tell emily like i need to tell emily that i'm upset i need to tell emily that that she hurt my feelings because like she doesn't know it like um and that vulnerability opens up opportunity for a conversation that leads to reconciliation that leads to better understanding for next time um and um so me recognizing that i need to be you know i need to be honest and open with what i'm actually feeling and experiencing but then also welcome the same kind of critique and the same kind of communication so i need to be opening i need to be welcoming and open to to emily to express to be vulnerable to express what she's feeling express what she's thinking because emily is is a feeler before she's a thinker she she gets upset first and then she realizes later and is able to verbalize why she's upset so you know she she gets upset because i've i've done or said something um and uh or didn't do something and and she's upset and she needs to be by herself for a little bit um and then she comes to me later and then she's like you know what i i think that when you when you didn't do this or when you did this like it really you know did this to me or, or hurt me in this way or whatever and then which again opens up um opportunity for me to for me to apologize and for 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 reconciliation to happen and for better understanding to happen right so um i think you know to avoid that loneliness within a relationship um is just to be is to be honest and, and to be honest yeah. when you're feeling lonely like um and there have been seasons where like it's a, it's a little bit of a different thing i guess there have been seasons where i felt lonely that had nothing to do with emily and i's relationship mm -hmm. yeah. um because emily and i emily and i are one um, and while yes, it is two, like it is, it is two become one. So on the other hand, on the one hand, like, like, yes, community and company and those kinds of things are easier for me because we are, we are two, but there are, there are moments, there are times where sometimes we are in so, so we agree so much because we are one that I feel lonely because no one else thinks the way that I do. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, yeah. but like there've been, there've been seasons in the last couple of years where I'm just like, like Emily, like I know Emily and I agree on, on this thing, but like, why does no one else or why, why, or like, just not even, not even like, eh, it's not even about agreeing on stuff. It's just like, like, not having a bunch of close friends like where i live and that i like not being able to be vulnerable like i'm not able to be vulnerable with people here in the same way that i'm vulnerable with guys on d group right and like that's yeah that's like we've talked about that yeah we've talked about that numerous times in that like it's it's nine years i mean and that and those relationships are nine years in the making when i've only been here too right relationships sure. take time sure take a lot of time um, um, brief, not an offshoot, but going back to something that Annette said, two things that Annette said, um, she was talking about, um, 
I was in this space and it took me a year and a half to get to the other side of it or get not to even to the other side, but get to a place where I could start thinking differently. I think that um, just as kind of a not general advice, I guess, but I think that we are, our, our generation and younger needs reminders that, that good things take time. Um, relationships take time getting over these, not, not getting over, uh, but just like working through these things takes time. Um, and then also, I think this also goes with like how to avoid loneliness. Um, and we could talk about this in the realm of social media and other things too, but I feel like learning how to listen well is good because Annette, you were talking about things like you, you and Michael share particular experiences that, that, that I don't, or I haven't, at least not in the same way. So like, I mean, you're, you're able to empathize in a different way, which is amazing. But then I, I just, it just brought to mind for me, like, or are you also had mentioned, like, you need to have people you can go to, you need to know who those people are, who you can go to, to just like, just talk it out, talk it out, lean into it, talk it out, really, really, you know, just, just process and express and all those different things. And I feel like the thing that came to mind for me, so this, this is maybe, hmm, I want to be a good listener. I want to know how to genuinely listen to someone not for the purpose of, of inserting my own opinion after they're done <laughs> or, um, <laughs> or doing, I don't know, just like, so like if Michael were to ever call me or someone I know, or like I, there have been other D group members who have, I've had. Some yeah, really, really I, I would never people. call you. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I mean, you would, you would call Dan first and that's <laughs> Know that but when dan's not available or when dan's being obstinate like he is you call me <laughs> so uh, uh no. anyway but <laughs> anyway like i i just i i think the the art of listening the art of listening and not the art of listening void of the intent to then persuade the other person of how they're wrong like or or to debate or be argumentative or right. make the or conversation to, then about yourself right yes or to diminish to or to diminish that other person's experience like it's like and eh, like it's that's not so rough like i mean I, I know that you're lonely right now but like i mean it's like it's not that big a deal <laughs> like how horrible how awful you know that are dying and you're single and you think you got it bad <laughs> Oh man. Anyway, so those are just the last couple thoughts that came no, to me. I think that's amazing. I, I just did my first funeral uh, last week. And uh, you, by the way, Adam, I think that you are a great listener. I'm somebody who needs to get better at that. In fact, that's what my message to group last week. I just, I need to shut up more. Um, but we, I just did my first funeral. Uh, it was, it was the day before Thanksgiving of all days to do it. Uh, and this lady had lived a full life. I had not, I did not know her at all. I wouldn't be able to pick her out of a police lineup if she was the only one in the police lineup. Like, is that, is that Maxine? I don't know. Cause I've never met her. <laughs> so, 
it was a tremendous service because it was we 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 want to emphasize three things. And you know, I, I talk about in the church is that we want to mourn the death of the person. We want to acknowledge the pain. We want to grieve. Uh, and that has said that earlier, similar uh, themes here. We want to celebrate the life because we can, when we mourn somebody, it, that's a privilege because that means they were worth mourning and worth missing. And then we want to proclaim victory over the grave through Christ Jesus that, you know, our dear sister, our dear brother, we're going to see them again someday. So during the time of testimonials, like I think the best thing I heard and one of the highest compliments I've ever heard during a funeral is that this was from the, from the family as well as some congregants in my church is that this lady listened well and did not slander or gossip at all. Mm. You would never hear her talk bad about somebody or talk behind a back behind someone's back. And she was always willing to listen. And her daughter in particular said that my mom would stop whatever she was doing. And she would just listen with a, with like a mother's heart, just hearing people. And I think there's a different understanding and you're about to be a father here. Uh, Adam. So in a few years, when your daughter, you know, tells you something, you, you'll be able to hear what they're saying and understand the English, but hearing and understanding the heart that's what requires the attentiveness. That's what requires the, uh, us to get out of our own way and, and stop that narcissism, stop the ulterior motive and say, oh, let me just give you advice, which us men, you know, and then I'm sorry, we fall, we fall prone to it. Like, can't you just listen to me? Uh, no, we got to fix it all the time. Don't you understand? In our relationship. So, you know, not a guy girl thing. I just want to. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, uh, what, what are we doing? Uh, I get that's the thing is, are we, are we there to serve ourselves even in relationships or are we there to serve each other? And Adam, I definitely can see that the correlation there and like loneliness uh, can come in many forms. Um, coincidentally, the, the, the realization of the fact that I was in love and I will always care for this person, even though, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're living their life. Now they are, they are married. They have kids. They are doing what they need to do. I have grieved. I have moved on not moved on. I say, how do you fully move on from feeling? Cause it's not like people are going to just turn into jerks. <laughs> it's like, no, I think I'm always going to care for you. I'm always going to have that affection, but there's boundaries. Unfortunately, that's been coincided with two relationships that have spanned over a decade and a half, two separate friendships. One was 15 years, one was 21 years. And they've ended both in this last year. Uh, and I mean, completely like just ended. It's not a, well, they ghosted me. It's just done. And I, and like my heart, has been so hurt in this last uh, few months because of that. And then adding this on top of it, I have never been more grateful for D group because the, the peer group here immediately, which I have a lot of lady friends that are just friends, <laughs> not a player or anything. They're just really good friends, but like finding good men, other good men um, around here, other than my D group guys is hard. It's very hard. There's somebody to hang out with and just spend time with. And that just is there. Uh, so Adam, I hear you. And it just, sometimes it just sucks. And sometimes we just have to say, okay, God, this is what I'm dealing with to Annette, to your whole point. And that's where I'm at. I'm just in that acceptance mode of grief. <laughs> like, okay, this is what it is. It's terrible. God knows it. I know it now. And now I can begin to move on. Uh, I, I can deal with those emotions instead of burying them, which I've so foolishly done. Uh, I appreciate both of your, your insight into that. Um, final question here and this is something that only you both will be able to speak on as i'm at a disadvantage i'm not being married but what we are talking about here and and that brought this up earlier is this idea of completion um and being fulfilled 
So uh, Adam, I'll throw this to you first and, and that you could have the last word. How do you find the spiritual fulfillment within your marriage? And those, and those high moments and those low moments, how do you find that consistent spiritual fulfillment that doesn't lead to, you know, like, well, I'm in love one day and I'm mad the next day, so I'm going to get a divorce. You fall in love, you get married, you fall out of love, you get, you get divorced. It's just a feeling that you get. So how do you still find that on those, those, those days where it's just difficult? Because everyone has the difficult days. And that's where it really is revealed what your relationship is built on. Is it built on the social media, like fake uh, that you were saying that is, you know, superficial, but helpful maybe in some cases, or is it rooted in something so much deeper? I, hmm. it's funny that you mentioned difficult days. Just because, like, I don't know, Emily and, I, Emily and I have had a couple difficult ones, like, just this week. Um, which, I mean, that's not to say that, like, we're not, like, actively fighting. Like, our, our difficult days are, are very easy, very easy compared to some. Um, but um, I think that, you know even acknowledging in those moments, because both when I, both those times, but both or the, the couple, the couple difficulties that we had have been because primarily because like, I, I was not spiritually grounded this week. And I, I was the one who ended up causing the hurt in the relationship. Um, and <laughs> uh, it's funny, as I say that Emily just texted me and she said, it's both of us, not just you don't take all the blame. Um, where we weren't spiritually grounded this week and that, that caused some issues. So I think, um, I know that I had while while there was an uncertainty, while there was a tension, while there was a conflict that needed to be resolved, um, uh, I and, and because because of that tension, like I didn't have I didn't have peace, but I also had an underlying peace because of our commitment to each other. Um, that was made in Christ and modeled after Christ's commitment to us, to his church, to his people. Um, and um, I, I often say, I, I don't, I don't often communicate this very well to my students, but, or just to people in general, but like, I don't understand how people like, people who, uh, who essentially like they, 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 they live together and they, and they act as if they're married, but they're not like, and I, I'm not, not trying to talk about like, you know, cohabitation or whatever, whatever. I'm just talking about like people, you know, that like they, they, they live together, they have kids, they, they share finances, all these different things, but they're not married. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, and, 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 and there's a million different reasons for that, but like, I know some Christians as well who've kind of like 
who either have done that or considered it an option. And like that, that scares me to death. Like uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, but that I won't go to right now. I don't know. Like Emily and I, like, you know, like in the old Testament, there wasn't like a marriage ceremony where you stood before God and said, like, I do. Right. Like that wasn't like an old Testament thing. Right. Like, so I understand that like our, our pomp and circumstance revolving around marriage and these different things are, are, while they are historical, they could be anyway, I'm not going to talk about that, but like Emily and I made a commitment to God together. Like, we both said that like for better or worse we are committed to each other and again modeling that commitment that christ made to us then like modeling the commitment of of god's relationship with his people the the fickle and unfaithful israelites who time and time again wandered from christ they were unfaithful and yet god said like but i love you you know so i think that part of part of the spiritual um fulfillment uh or, or the yeah the spiritual fulfillment comes from just a mutual a mutual understanding of of like i'm gonna do this with you like yeah if that makes sense like so having somebody that's there again you talked about the oneness the completeness when i at least hearing right. you pick up on if i'm hearing you correctly hearing right. listening <laughs> yes uh is having somebody there that has your best interest and then letting that, I don't say speak for itself maybe, but what I, what I hear you saying is, is having that, that confidence that you have each other's best interest at heart, keeping that at the center, no matter what the bad days are, that's what brings that fulfillment. I think so. Yeah. Hmm. Trying to think if there was another element to that or not, but I think that's the the thing that's on my mind most currently. So maybe that speaks to someone I don't know. Yeah, well, because I mean, because I was there. I mean, I'll brag because I was there when you said your vows, which was beautiful, by the way. Um, that even when, even when I think is this potentially the big difference between how we as Christians act in a marriage and how others do is that our marriages and and relationships are supposed to reflect um a relationship of mercy instead mm -hmm. of vindictiveness um shame that even when we sin against one another there's not an aspect of maliciousness there's a i'm gonna i'm gonna love you forever love you exclusively and on your worst day i am not gonna love you any less and you're going to, I'm going to grant you mercy and you're going to bestow mercy upon me and I'm not going anywhere. Is that, it, it seems like that's, that's that, that, that commitment, that, that, that proclamation that you say in front of other Christian witnesses saying just as what Christ did for the church, that type of love, that type of sacrifice, that's going to be the bedrock of our marriage. So no matter what, it's just, it just is. Adam is one with Emily. Emily is Adam. Adam is Emily. They're not separated from one another. It just is. It's not conditional. It's what it's supposed to be. Is that maybe what you're trying to say? Maybe? I don't know. I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Good. Cause it sounds I, good. Even though I have no idea what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> oh man, I I don't know. I just and and there's there's so much that could be said about you know like spiritual fulfillment, but like like there there are different there are different maybe compartments to that in my head. Um, but I'm just trying to think of like like spiritually fulfilled, like. Um, I mean, you could talk to, you could talk to, you could talk about like, you know, in, in being, um, encouraging one another to, to like in, encouraging one another in your faith. You could talk about like just being like pointing each other to Christ or just being Christ to one another. Um, I don't know. There are a lot of things that you could talk about, but I think again, like just in, in this moment, the things that I'm thinking about this week, um, I have found fulfillment and, and peace and joy and love in our mutual commitment to one another. So I love it. I love it. And that last, last word to you on spiritual fulfillment within, within marriage. How, how do you find that? How, how do you find that contentment, uh, even in a relationship? Um, where does the Holy Spirit play in that? I'm just just curious of your thoughts. Yeah, I think I think one of the dangerous things we do is to expect our spouse to be our spiritual fulfillment when they're not. I mean, you are still individually connected to Christ. And I think it's important to remember that scripture is, you know, when in eternity, you're and sometimes we might could talk about that. We'll just cry a little bit because we love each other. But like the, the reality is like that situation is, is beyond our comprehension. Like how, how beautiful and completely fulfilled that would, will be. Um, but I think something that we will be is like people who know each other very vulnerably, very intimately, and people who have been a reflection and a mirror of Christ's love for us. So I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, Paul talks about singleness. But the way Paul talks about it is that, you know, singleness is the varsity and marriage is the JV almost. is like saying, you know, stay single if you can, because that's, you know, God's got when you're married, you're going to think about your spouse, you're going to have troubles in that. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the parts of counting up the cost, you know, the feelings don't just carry you through, like feelings are real, but they're not final. And they do change. Um, but when it comes to like spiritual fulfillment, what I, what Mike and I are to each other is partners. I mean, we're partners on mission for what God designed us to do together. Like we seek out together, like God, we submit and we're thankful you brought us to each other. And we recognize that that is for a purpose that is beyond us being complete in ourselves. We recognize us being together is to bring you glory. And ultimately like what we do, how we serve each other, how we love each other is part of that mission and then there's also a mission of service outside of each other like our our marriage has to be edifying to the church it has to be edifying to our neighbors it has to be edifying in all of these ways like we we <laughs> we have 
we have the benefit of having someone to build us up and be our cheerleader and hold our arms up and fight with us. And you also have the challenge of someone else seeing all of your flaws, all of your sin, very openly, very clearly. Like, so there are, there are so many pros and cons in that. And I think in this single married conversation, like that's one of those counting up the cost things is like, there's, there's, challenging and great things on either side whether you're single or married and being single you you can be equally as spiritually fulfilled as someone who is married like there is no god is not giving an extra dose of grace or an extra dose of fulfillment or contentment to those who are married like he is illustrating his love and his narrative in a different way um, because he's given us the church, because he's given us adoption. I mean, it's not good for man to be alone. So we have all of this community around us. And, you know, it's some of us in the season are in a calling of marriage and a mission of marriage. And some of us are in a mission of singleness and all of that is good. And all that is spiritually fulfilling. Like there is equality in that. Um, because God is the one giving the favor and giving the merit. Like, um, I think spiritual fulfillment in your relationship is being able to see and know the other person and bring them to the feet of Jesus so they can continually find healing and strength and sanctification. Like, I think in your marriage partnership, it's it's the same as it is in a D group. I mean, it's about your growth. It's about through vulnerability, you're experiencing more of God. You're experiencing more of who God is. Um, and then in that, I mean, God does a really cool thing by like giving us different roles in our relationship. Like, you know, I have a, a more dominant aggressive personality than Micah, but I mean, he still shows me how, God uses him for leadership. He teaches me how to be a, a helper and a partner and use my power in sexuality, that we are companions, we're building each other up. Um, so it just, I mean, it's such, it's such a unique expression of who God is. And I think speaking from a woman's perspective, there is a battle to fight if you grew up in the church to reframe the idea of like your husband being your spiritual leader um, in the sense of recognizing that a husband being a spiritual leader does not mean that you are powerless and recognizing like your role as the female in the relationship is so beautiful, um, is so wonderful because you have such a power as the Azair, as the helper, as not his Holy Spirit, but serving more in the role of the Holy Spirit to come along, to cheerlead, to come beside, to bolster, to provide wise and sage counsel, you know, so that your husband can go to war for you, could, could die for you if he needs to, just the way that, you know, Christ would die for the church. So um, what that plays out like in your marriage, I think is so unique to who you are, how God designed you, your personality, um, your specific mission that you are called to as a married couple. I mean, there's just so much nuance in it all, which is so good and like 
yummy. I love it that God would be so kind to us to give us such unique design. Um, so like for you and how you pray together and how you build each other up and how you serve together, that's going to look different. But I would say overarchingly, you find spiritual fulfillment in your marriage by being on mission together by like Adam said, by being one together, moving in the same direction together. I mean, you are still, you are still just the branches. You're not the vine. You're still abiding. You're still growing together in this way, in this direction, in this light. So, I mean, I kind of, I'll wrap it up with this illustration. It's kind of like if you were climbing a, like a cliff face and you are like attached by a rope to the other person. <laughs> like you're gonna have to fight to struggle up this mountain I mean if you're a solo climber and you're free climbing like you're responsible for you if you're marriage climbing there's gonna be times they're gonna lift you up there's gonna be times the other person is heavy like you gotta you're gonna fight back and forth to work your way up this mountain but like ultimately we're like still on this cliff face moving in one direction on mission like experiencing this wonderful awesome thing this mission that God has for us so um I hope that is a good answer to your question, well, but I, I think the thing to remember is different for everyone. Everyone's, it's just so unique. It's yeah. Uh, I think these conversations need to take place more often. And I am so grateful that you all set aside the time tonight to uh, pour into to this. This was, a, a, I think, a very much needed conversation for more ways than one. And it's something that I'd like to continue. And, and that's what uh, this podcast, We Shall Not Sleep, is for. Um, and I, I am, I'm so grateful um, to you, Annette, uh, to you and Micah. Um, that's what I thought. Um, I, it's so great to be able to see uh, another, another couple that um, I can trust with what they're saying, trust their motive and um, their upbringing, to, to be honest, uh, but then have uh, that type of motivation. I mean, I think if people don't, if people haven't fallen in love with your hearts and what you're coming at, at this point, that's their loss. Um, and so very thankful guys. I appreciate your time. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. This we're right here. We're coming up on the third week of Advent. What a cool time here. Um, and I hope you both have a very safe rest of 2021. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine you saying that, but uh, Merry Christmas to you all and happy new year. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much to Adam and Annette for their time and insight during tonight's episode. I hope you, the listener, enjoyed it as much as I did and were able to glean some things that you can apply to your daily walk with Christ and your relationships. We will catch you next time on the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Thank you again for your support. And as always, may God bless you and may God keep you.